Treatise on the Love of God Chapter 11 Love of God Inspires Other Virtues The sinful soul can do good works. Rewards follow naturally. Civility reaps civility. Good business makes money. A sinful human is not a devil, so filled with evil that it can do no good. The sinner is like the man who was on the road going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Luke 10.30 Being half alive, he can perform half-living activities. He can't walk or cry out for help, but his eyes are open and he can walk with great effort. This is weak activity, but it is activity. Natural reason is deeply wounded, half slain by sin. Being in such a condition, it simply cannot keep God's commandments. It would not take issue when the fact that these commandments are good. It simply lacks the power to do what is necessary to obey them. Its eyes are better than its legs. It can see the point, but it is not able to take action. A sinner will sometimes keep a few of the commandments, especially when there is no circumstances that make keeping them difficult. It is not ordinarily possible to live a long time in sin without adding new sins. Numerous temptations entice one into forbidden behavior. At this level, there is no help at all from natural reason. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.7 Therefore, watch and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Matthew 26.41 If our Lord had said only watch, we might expect that we could resist temptation on our own power. When he adds and pray, he shows us we need God's help. Master gardeners have a lot of respect for the innocence and purity of strawberries. These fruits develop in, cur in contact with soil. Serpents, lizards, and other venomous creatures crawl all over them. Even so, they remain relatively clean and pure. They have no attraction for toxins. Human virtues are the same way. They may exist in a heart that is low, earthly, and sinful without being infected with nastiness. The virtues themselves are noble and innocent. They cannot be corrupted. Aristotle pointed out that virtue is a habit no one can use badly. The righteous will flourish like the palm tree. They will grow like the cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. Psalm ninety-two, twelve and 13. Since the moral person is growing in God's house, leaves, flowers, and fruit also develop there. Such people are dedicated to the service of God. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Psalm 1, 3. Every aspect, the fruit of love, the flowers of works, it inspires, and its leaves that are the moral and natural virtues derive an exceptional potency and effectiveness from the love that generates them. If you put a grain of musk in the cut woodstock, when grafted a rose, the rose will smell like musk. Not your heart with holy patience, put the love of God in the cleft, and then graft onto it any virtue you wish. 
the works that result will be perfumed with sanctity. If you want to make the human moral virtue of Epictus or Socrates become holy, let them be practiced by a genuine Christian who has the love of God. God's first respect was the good Abel, and then to his offerings their value in the sight of God came from the piety of the one who offered them. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15.58 A few virtues relate more readily with divine love. Faith, hope, and charity possess a natural harmony with God. The practice of religion, penitence, and devotion is used to honor of God. These naturally have a close relationship with God and are likely to bear the impression of heavenly love. A heart that loves God is the only thing it takes to give them sanctity. To cause grapes to taste like olives, all you have to do is to plant them near the olive trees. Simply being in the vicinity, without any physical contact, is enough for the plants to share their qualities. They have a strong attraction to each other. Most flowers are beautifully in full light of the sun. Sunflowers actually follow the course of the sun all day. All virtue receives a new sheen and nobility from being exposed to holy love. But faith, hope, and the fear of God, piety, patience, and other virtues are inclined naturally to honor God. They receive the impression of divine love that increases their value, and they become partners with it, following and serving it. If I have faith and can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 1 Corinthians 13.2 Love, then, is the incomparable virtue. Not only is it beautiful, it also blesses every other virtue it encounters. It gives them a celestial fragrance. Because sacred love is nurtured by reading spiritual books, participating in Christian ceremonies, and contemplating eternity, do these things regularly. Pliny reports actually seeing a tree at Trevely that had many different kinds of fruit grafted to it. On one branch there were cherries, and on other nuts, on other grapes, figs, pomegranates, apples, and other fruits. This is amazing, Theotimus, but it is even more remarkable to see in one Christian life, heavenly love with all the virtues grafted on it. It would make you realize that it is actually love that is patient, gentle, courageous, and impartial. Pliny goes on to report that the tree in Trevely did not live many years. This unnatural variety of production exhausted its sap. It withered and died. On the contrary, love is fortified and invigorated while producing a profusion of fruit in the practice of other virtues. As our Holy Fathers noted, Love is insatiable, it is it, in its desire to bear fruit. The fruits of grafted trees always follow the graft. If it is from an apple tree, it will bear apples. If it is a cherry, it will bear cherries. Even so, all the various fruits will be tainted with the taste of the rootstock. In the same way, our actions will be labeled with the names of specific virtues, but they are flavored by holy love. Love is the rootstock of all sanctity, 
All the same time, love does not prevent individual virtues from possessing their own identity and characteristics. The flavor of fruits and of vegetables tends to diminish during the darkness of the night. When the sun returns, flavor is enhanced. Each variety, however, responds in a different degree to sunlight. Some become bright and glorious, others do not. The same sun shines on violets and rose, but it does not make them equally beautiful. A daisy will never be as attractive as a lily, but this is not the end of it. If the sun shines fully upon a violet and a rose is growing in the shade, the healthy violet will be lovelier than the feeble rose. If two people have an equal degree of love and one dies a martyr while the other dies a result of hunger and fasting, the martyrdom has the most value. The love that accompanies both does not override the differences between them. It acts like sugar when making jelly. Sugar preserves and seasons the various fruits, but it allows each particular taste to predominate. Peaches remain distinct from apricots. The differences between individual virtues continues after the association with God's love. In the same way, the first musical efforts of a nightingale are incomparably more melodious than the songs of an experienced finch. Near the end of his career, the artist Pericus painted only miniatures of commonplace subjects. He did scenes of barbershops, cobble shops, donkeys loaded with herbs, and similar trivial matters. Pliny concluded that he did this to reduce his fame and prominence. Some said that Pericus painted the garbage, and yet the greatness of his art was apparent in these small works. They brought a higher price than some of the great pictures painted by other artists. The great saints reveled in little simplicities difficulties and humiliations. These things sheltered their hearts from vainglory. These small things done in the ardor of heavenly love were more pleasing to God than spectacular works of others who were without love and devotion. Let me explain the value of that love adds to all other actions. I would not have been willing to state this if the Holy Spirit had not inspired St. Paul to write, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory and far outweighs them all. 2 Corinthians 4.17 This is a remarkable statement. Trouble results in glory. Lightness produces weight. Moments involve eternity. Deep purple, crimson, violet are the colors of expensive royal cloth. The value comes not from the wool, but from the dye. The works of good Christians are so valuable that they are rewarded with heaven. But, Theodemus, they are valuable not because they are the wool of our hearts, but because they are dyed with the blood of the Son of God. Our Savior sanctifies our works by the merits of his blood. The vine slips that is grafted to rootstock produces fruit only because of the power of the stock. You and I are withered branches that can bear no fruit. Not that we are competent to claim anything from ourselves, but our competence comes from God. 2 Corinthians 3 and 5 When the love of God engraves the name of our Savior, the great bishop of our souls, on our hearts, we then begin to bear delicious fruits of eternal value. 
The Holy Spirit lives in us. If we are living members of Jesus Christ, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. John 15:5. This is because the one who abides in Christ receives his divine spirit. This becomes a spring of water welling up in eternal life. John 4:14. 4, Our good works are like a mustard seed. Luke 13:18. They cannot be compared with the tree of glory and the sprouts from them. The energy to produce them is in the tiny seed because it comes from the Holy Spirit. Our works become His works, and yet they remain ours. He is an active participant in what we do, and we lend our cooperation. He leaves us with all the merit and profit that He cures, and we give Him all the honor and praise. Love grasps all virtues. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and from there it divided. It had four head streams, Genesis 2.10. There is a delightful place where God makes the river of reason and the natural light stream out to water all the paradise of our heart. This river branches out into four head streams. It makes four streams accordingly to the four regions of the soul. 1. It provides a practical understanding of what to do and what to avoid. Native intelligence makes us pr prudent. We can discern what is evil and what is good. 2. It streams out justice over our will. We want to see everyone receive what is their own. 3. It makes us temperance flows over an uncontrollable appetite moderating its passions. 4. It sends out the strength of self-control to limit the movement of anger. These four rivers, latter divided into several others. In addition, God enriches Christians with the special favor of a supernatural fountain we call grace. If these four streams of love meet with natural virtue of the soul, they mingle themselves with it to perfect it. In the same way perfumed water perfects natural water when they are mixed together. But if holy love fanning out widely does not find any of the natural virtues of the soul, then it alone does what is necessary. We sow many kinds of seeds in our gardens. We bury them under the soil where they stay until the heat of the sun causes them to germinate. It is as if the sun resuscitates them. Then they can put out leaves of flowers. With new seeds following according to the variety of plant, a single heavenly heat produces a great variety of fruit. God has truly sown the seeds of every virtue in our hearts. They are covered now with soil of imperfections and weakness. We will not see them, many of them sprouting, until the, ver the vital sun heats and the holy love gives them life. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. John fourteen twenty one through 23 it is true that one who lacks divine love 
may have some virtue and live a while without offending God. Uprooted trees may briefly produce a little imperfect fruit. A heart separated from love may bring forth a few passing acts of virtue. Every virtue that is not connected with love is imperfect. Nothing can live in the Dead Sea. There is a heavy curse upon it. Fish from the Jordan River die when they enter it, unless they quickly turn around and swim upstream. Trees along its shorelines are barren, if they manage to bear any fruit at all. It is nothing more than the skins and rinds filled with ashes that blow away in the wind. This is a reminder of the infamous sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, which are now at the bottom of this detestable lake. Genesis 19 The Dead Sea is the result of the worst possible crime of human flesh. Sin is a deadly sea, killing all that comes near it. Nothing that is offsprings of the soul passed by sin has life. Nothing, even though a sinner's actions sometimes bear a resemblance to those of a just person. They are nothing more than rinds filled with wind and dust. God notices them, and they are granted temporal rewards in the manner of presents given to the children of the servants. What will it profit when, if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life, or what will they give in return for their life? Matthew 16:26. A bitterly cold winter kills all the plants. If it continues, if it continued indefinitely, the plant would remain dormant. Nothing would ever grow again. Sin is sad and dreadful winter of the soul. It destroys anything good. If it did not cease, the soul would not regain its life and vigor. Spring renews the world. New seeds planted in our gardens germinate quickly. Existing perennials, brightened by winter's Bitten by winter's cold, spring forth again from the earth. The world is no longer brown and withered. It is green and vigorous. When sin blotted out and grace of divine love returns to the soul, not only do new affections that sacred springs bring into blossom appear, but also the works that were dried up and withered by the winter of sin, once rescued from their deadly enemy, they resume their strength and grow vigorously. It is as if they have risen from the dead. If the wicked turn away from all their sins that they have committed and keep all my statutes, do what is lawful and right, they shall surely live, they shall not die. None of the transgressions that they have committed shall be remembered against them, for the righteousness that they have done they shall live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, says the Lord God, and not rather that they should turn from their ways and live? Ezekiel 18:21 and 23. The prodigal son was welcomed home with much more than profuse expressions of endearment from his father. He was taken back into the family with all of its privileges and advantages. The dignity he had thrown away was restored. And Job, with innocent representation of a penitent sinner, in the end became prosperous. The Lord gave him twice as much as he had had before. Job 42.10 The Council of Trent wants us to encourage penitents 
who have returned to the sacred love of the eternal God, always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15.58 God is not unjust. He will not forget your work in the love you have shown him, as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Hebrew 6.10 I never saw, read, or heard what wasp, gadflies, flies, and such little insect pests could die and return to life. But everyone says, and I have often read, that the deer bees, those virtuous insects, can live again. I read in Pliny's Natural History that if they keep the bodies of the dead honeybee indoors all winter, cover them with fig wood, ashes, and other sprigs, and expose them to sunshine, they will return to life and be as good as new. Neither scriptures nor, as far as I know, any theologian has ever stated that iniquities and sinful works can return to life once they have been washed away and destroyed by divine forgiveness. But good works have been killed by sin, can regain life, if they are covered with the ashes of penance and exposed to the sunshine of grace and love, they will become as beneficial and fruitful as they were before. Fruit of the Spirit The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5:22 and 23 Notice the Otimus, what that when Paul lists the various qualities of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, he counts them as one single fruit. He does not begin with the plurals fruits. He uses the singular. This is why God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Romans 5, 5. Love is the only fruit of the Holy Spirit. This one fruit has an infinite number of excellent properties. Paul mentions a few of them as examples when he states that the fruit of the vine is grapes, wine, brandy, and the drink to gladden the human heart. Psalm 104.15 The beverage that settles the stomach. 1 Timothy 5.23 We do not mean all these different things grow on the vine. There is only one fruit, yet it has many different qualities depending upon how it is used. Paul simply means that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. This love can be joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, and gentle, and it can improve self-control. Divine love prompts all these things and more. Love is the life of the Spirit. A suspended weight causes a grandfather clock to tick. Love gives the soul all its movement. Our affections follow love. It is love that makes us desire. Rejoice, hope, despair, and fear. We take heart. We hate. We avoid things. We grieve. We become angry. We rejoice. Abject love of the opposite sex leads many astray. It is the only thing that brings such people pleasure. It is the center of their lives. Others love riches or have a lot of ambition for receiving honors. Such people become slaves to what, to that which they love. All of their love and affection is tied on one particular thing. 
When divine love rules us, it brings into this empire of the heart all of the other loves. It makes them obedience. Sadness. It is impossible to graft an oak limb onto a pear tree. The two trees are much too different. Neither can anger or despair be grafted onto love without extreme difficulty. Can sadness be compatible with holy love? Joy is ranked among the fruits of the Holy Spirit, listed immediately after love itself. And yet Paul writes, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10 There is then a sorrow or sadness in harmony with the love of God. It belongs to penitent sinners, and it is a part of our compassion for others. There is also a sadness of this world. It is the result of fishing in troubled waters. There is a fish called the sea devil that hides in the muddy water it stirs up around itself. It waits to ambush for its prey. When it spots a little fish swimming by, it darts out to devour it, in the same way the devil makes its ambush in sadness. After troubling the soul with many sad thoughts stirred up here and there in the mind, he makes a change upon the affections, weighing them down, and with distrust, jealousy, envy, too much worry about past sins, and a large number of wasteful sour, and melancholy enters the imagination. The soul abandons reason and rejects consolation. Sadness sometimes comes from one's natural disposition. There are melancholy souls. There is not vicious in itself, but our enemy makes great use of it to weave and set up thousands of temptations in our souls. A spider prefers to spin their webs on cloudy days. This malign spirit finds it's much more difficult to spread the net of negative suggestions in sweet, kindly, and bright souls than in the gloomy and sad. These he easily disturbs with irritation and mistrust, hatred, grumbling, scorn, envy, idleness, and spiritual numbness. Worldly sorrow brings death. 2 Corinthians 7.10 Let's banish it, Theotimus. As much as possible, let's push it away with every contrasting attitude we can get together. Even if we are naturally disposed to melancholy, we can still be gracious and kind. We can speak civil words gently. We may be accused for not being cheerful all the time. It is not possible to control this with an act of the will, but there is no excuse for not being gracious, accommodating, and considerate to others. This is always with your, within your grasp. Chapter 12, Guidance for Practicing Divine Love. I have written in this treatise of the mystical love that God pours into our hearts. This love lives independently in the ultimate place of the Spirit. While some souls have a natural tendency to love God, they are always a great risk of being diverted from the purity of sacred love by mixture of other loves. This risk accompanies the capability of loving. If two people, the one loving and the docile by nature, the other inconsiderate and offensive, have equal love, they may love God equally. 
but not in the same way. Love will come quite naturally without a great struggle to the first. This love should not be considered better or more perfect. The second has a love that was born among the thorns and dislikes of a harsh and dry character. This love has nobility and is truly glorious. It doesn't make much difference, then, what kind of personality is engaged in the love of God. It is a matter of possessing a love beyond the natural world that is working supernaturally. This, Theotimus, is what I want to ask the world. If you have hearts ready for love, why don't you dedicate yourselves to celestial and divine love? If you are rough and bad-tempered, why don't you find a love that is far above the natural love you lack? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Matthew 6.20 A single treasure is not enough for the divine lover. God wants us to have an abundance of treasures. We need an insatiable desire of loving God. What forces bees to increase their store of honey? It is their love for it. O heart of my soul, created to love the infinite good, what love can you want but the most desirable love? Our soul of my heart, what desire can you love but the loveliest of all desires? Someone who is sick may have no appetite. Still, there is an appetite for an appetite. A person who is ill may not want to eat meat, but there is a desire to want it. Theotimus, it is not possible to know if you love God above all things unless God reveals it to you. It is easy, however, to know if you desire to love God. If there is a desire for holy love in you, you may be sure you are beginning to love. When the sensual and animal part of us becomes hungry, it does not always obey the rational part. Sometimes we want what we cannot have. The desire of loving and love itself depends upon this same will. As soon as we have an honest desire of loving, we begin to love a little. As the desire increases, love increases. If you ardently desire to love, you will soon love ardently. Spiritual hunger is in which one sighs incessantly after the pure gold of divine love and the root of all good. Everyone who really wants to love goes looking for it and will find it. The discovery will uncover the fountain of life. The one who finds love finds life and receives favor from the Lord. Proverbs 8.35 Theotimus, pray a prayer similar to this one night and day. Come, Holy Spirit, kindle in my heart a fire of sacred love. O heavenly love, fill my soul. Lilies will flower sooner or later, depending upon the depth of which they are planted. If the bulbs are set only three fingers into the soil, they will bloom early. If they are planted six or nine fingers, they will come up comparatively later. If the person who is deeply involved with worldly business desires divine love, it will bud late and with difficulty. On the other hand, if such a person gives such business only the attention it requires, then divine love will bloom promptly with much delicious fragrance. If we desire something that has nothing to do with God, we desire God that much less. 
praying, ambition, anxiety, ignoring our purpose for being in the world, these are the reasons for which we have a thousand times more worries than work and more occupation than profit. These do not represent our true business. They are wasteful activities that we allow to distract us from the love of God. King David and other leaders, such as St. Louis, were pressured with demands of serious business, but they never stopped singing. Whom have I in heaven but you? And being with you, I desire nothing on earth. Psalm 73:25. The Israelites were justified in declining the invitation of the Babylonians to sing some of their sacred songs. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Psalm 137:4. They were not only living with the Babylonians, they were their captives. Anyone who is a slave to the courtly favors, the prizes of law, or the honors of war, is thoroughly distracted. It is not possible to sing a hymn of heavenly love. Those who are only at court, at the tribunals, or the war by duty can count on the help of God, who will preserve them from the plagues that settle in such places. God also takes care of those who do not go to court, to bar or to war except by necessity we are not to be careless in such affairs we are to participate if we are required to participate if we have no business there it is best to stay away Nece necessary employment according to each person's vocation does not hinder divine love it increases the guilds the work of devotion the nightingale loves their melodies no less when they pause in their song. The devout heart loves God no less when it turns from prayer to necessary business. Silence and speech, activity and contemplation, work and rest provide equal opportunity to sing hymns of love. Nearby Love Some make great plans to render outstanding service for our Savior. They are ready to suffer working for God, but they have no opportunity to fulfill their dream. They imagine they have done a great work of love, but they deceive themselves. It is not enough to embrace great crosses in some undefined future circumstance. It would be better to take up lesser crosses that are present right now. There is a tremendous temptation to be valiant in the imagination. God preserves us from imaginary favors that breed a vain and secret self-esteem deep within us. We are not always asked to perform great works for God, but every moment we may do little ones with much excellent love. If anyone gives a cup of cool water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth. He will certainly not lose his reward. Matthew 10:42 This is a small action without much to see but the intention the love that inspires and gives the cup of cool water to a thirsty traveler turns it into something of eternal significance bees gather honey from the lily the iris and the rose they gather more from insignificant rosemary and thyme flowers in fact this is even better honey those tiny flowers concentrate the nectar and keep it well preserved. 
It is in the subdued and little works of devotion that love can be practiced more frequently and with more humility. Putting up with the bothersome people falls into this category. Any time we have a little victory over our emotions, we have done a great work of love. Theotimus, I explained to Philothea in my introduction to the devout life that the most profitable things imaginable for our souls are the renunciation of our lesser tendencies and an honest admission of our own imperfections, the continual care of our spiritual life and the love of humility and a welcoming of criticism. We are greatly sanctified by doing little actions motivated exclusively by a strong desire to please God. It is possible to eat a lot without getting fat or receiving vital energy if the digestive system is not functioning normally. Others get along well with little to eat. In the same way, there are those who do many good works and yet make little progress in love because they do them either coldly or negatively, or by native instinct or inclination rather than by divine inspiration or holy eagerness. On the contrary, they accomplish little, but do it with so holy a will and inclination that love progresses in them marvelously. They may not be highly talented, but they use what they have so faithfully that the Lord is greatly pleased. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3.17 St. Thomas tells us that these words are put into practice when we have a habit of holy charity. Even if we do not have a designated purpose of performing everything we do for God. The intention is to do so is implied by the union we have with God. Every action is automatically dedicated to God's divine goodness. If we are God's children by love, then everything we do glorifies God. Allowing God to help. When a master artist holds and guides a student's hand, the stroke that is made is mostly the teacher's. Though the student holds the brush and contributes some motion of its hand, the master mingles his movement with the student's. He gives a touch through him. If there is anything good in the brush strokes, the honor belongs to the teacher. Still, we can praise the apprentice. He made his own hand palliable and yielded to the motion and direction of his master. Our actions are excellent when divine love impresses its sacred movement on them and when they are motivated by sacred love. There is a special influence of the divine love in the virtuous actions of those who are particularly dedicated to God's service. Consecrated bishops and priests vow to be branded and marked serfs to the constant service of God. Monks with their solemn vows are living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. Romans 12.1 The same is true for all those who determine to follow the will of God, going on retreats to stimulate their spiritual life and attempting to reform their behavior. 
Ignatius of Loyola rediscovered this neglected spiritual exercise and renewed its practice. The one who has deliberately become a loving servant of God's divine goodness has thereby dedicated every activity to God. Recognizing the value everyone should at least once in a lifetime make a good retreat for several days, it will cleanse the soul and inspire a determination to live entirely to God. After this, there should be an annual review of spiritual progress and a daily renewal of our offering to God, as I have described elsewhere to Philothea. In addition to these things, let us unite our life to divine love by the practice of brief, spontaneous prayers hundreds of times a day. We can lift our hearts, casting our spirits continually into God. If we constantly breathe these words of love in order to remain close to God, then everything we do will be done in God and for God. Use little prayers such as the following, Lord, I am yours. My lover is mine and I am his. Song 216. My God, you are everything to me. Jesus, you are my life. May I die to myself and live only for you. O oh, to live in God. O oh, to be in God. Whatever is not God is nothing to me. The soul that has completely yielded itself into the hands of God is blessed because then it needs only to make one little sigh and take one look at God to renew the confirm its commitment. The practice of continual prayer will give life to all of our loving efforts. It will have a special benefit for the small and ordinary activity of daily life. As for heroic actions of great consequence, let's lift our heart and spirit to God. Ponder eternity and deep contrition. Divine goodness has prepared this present moment of opportunity for all eternity. Embrace it. Do the good that waits to be done. Endure the evil that cannot be avoided. Yield to God's providence. This is the way to do serious spiritual business. And the challenge continues for an extraordinary long time. Pray this brief prayer. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Matthew 11.26 There are treasures for you in this practice, Theotimus. Final Thoughts How loving is this great God, who out of infinite goodness gave his Son for the redemption of the whole world. This was done for all in general, for each one in particular. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. 1 Timothy 1.15 Theotimus, our Creator from all eternity, determined to create, preserve, govern, redeem, save, and glorify each one of us. What was I before I was born? I am something now, but I am a simple, poor earthworm. And yet God from the abyss of his eternity had thoughts of blessing in my behalf. He deigned and determined the hour of my birth of my baptism, and of all the inspirations he would give me. Can we realize anything any more wonderful than this? O Theotimus, our Savior, knew us all by name. When he was crucified, he offered his tears, his prayers, and the blood of his life for all of us. For you, he breathes these things, these loving thoughts, 
My eternal Father, I accept within myself all the sins of poor Theotimus. I experience the torments of death, that he might be freed from them, and that he may not perish. Let me die, that he might live. Let me be crucified, that he may be glorified. The passion and death of our Lord is the sweetest and most powerful motivator that can affect our hearts. Mystical bees gather their best honey at Calvary. Children of the cross enjoy their riddle, which the world cannot understand. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Judges 14.14 14. Out of the love that is as strong as death. Song 8.6 Has come the honey of our love. Jesus my Savior, our death is worthy of love because it is the evidence of your love. Surrounded by heavenly gifts, beside the unadulterated divine goodness, our Savior's death will engulf us in God's love. An indication of this was given in the transfiguration of Christ. This event gives us a glimpse of heaven. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Luke 9:29 and 31 I can imagine the heavenly anthem that will be joyfully repeated for all eternity. Live, Jesus, live. Your death proves the great power of heavenly love. Theotimus, Calvary is for lovers. Any love that does not begin with our Savior's passion is trifling and dangerous. Death without the love of the Savior is unhappy. Love without the death of the Savior is unhappy. Love and death are mingled at Calvary. We can't have one without the other. At Calvary, it is not possible to have life without love or love without the death of our Redeemer. All Christian wisdom amounts to making the right choice. I have written this treatise, my Theotimus, to help you make that choice. Choose eternal love or eternal death. There is no other choice. Our eternal love, my soul desires and chooses you. Come, Holy Spirit, inflame our hearts with your love. We love or we die. We die and we love. We die to all other loves in order to live to Jesus' love. Savior of our souls, may we sing forever. Viva Jesu. Live, Jesus, whom I love. Reign forever. Amen.